I'm Laura. And I'm Vanessa. And And we're we're a Tap Tap on the Wrist podcast. Every week we bring you a new history story with an alcohol twist. The stories you didn't learn from a textbook. In season one, we focused on dirty conspiracies, exciting adventures, and alcohol-fueled crimes throughout history. And for season two, we're focusing on Al Capone and the Chicago Beer Wars in a weekly conversation. We're so glad you found us. Grab a drink and come along for the ride. Hello! (laughs) Hi guys, welcome to episode 53 of A Tap on the Wrist. I'm Vanessa. And I'm Laura. And we're here. Yeah. <laughs> we are we are here and you're here. And we're glad you're here. I think I said I think I usually say the, the episode number after I say my name. I got thrown off. I this is two weeks in a row you like forgot how we do the intro. Ah. Uh, we're going to losing pre- it. We're going to have to pre-record these next season. <laughs> um so some exciting news we posted it on our Instagram story. So if you don't follow us you should cuz we post fun things. Yes. On Instagram and Twitter, we are at a tap on the wrist. And then, you know, always feel free to shoot us an email, tap on the wrist podcast at gmail.com. But what I was going to say was that we posted that they opened one of the bottles yes. that we talked about last week. Um, this couple were renovating a house and they found all these like old bootlegged prohibition bottles in their like walls and floor. Uh, and they opened one of the bottles. I know. And so this week, I, they posted a picture of what it looked like. Yeah. Um, and then I shared it in our story on Instagram. But it was really cool. It had like a device on the top that you couldn't refill the bottle so that you couldn't then like, bootleg yeah. additionally like or water down the whiskey or anything. So I thought that right. was interesting. And then someone asked them if they tasted it. And they said, yes, it tasted like tweed suits and old pipes. <laughs> but it was good. Yeah, they did say it was good. Interesting. I don't know. I just think it's really cool. I'm following them now on Instagram, so I'll continue to update when I see posts. Yes. Very cool. So how's your week been going? You're still teaching remotely. Still teaching remotely, you know, winning the... The remote teaching game. I'm still working remotely too. You're going to be remote forever. Forever. I actually like was thinking about how it's going to be so weird to transition because I'm going to be working from home for over a year. Well, and I also think you, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, your company was doing like a remodel of your office. You were yeah. already in a temporary location. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So like your your new workspace is probably done. Yeah. And so, like, you're literally... It's going to be, like, a whole new job. I know. It's going to be <laughs> so weird. But but also great to, like, be around people again. So, I mean, yeah. this. We're, so, we're recording this literally, like, a few hours after the FDA has approved yeah. the vaccine. Yeah. So, I don't know how I feel about it. I know teachers in New York are one of the first phases to get the vaccine. And I'm going to be, like, dead last. I am on the, I like, I don't know. Like, part of me wants to get it and say I believe in the science and I trust it. And then part of me is like, did this happen too fast? Yeah. I don't know. Like, I, I feel like I need to do more research on it. But it feels good to know that we are making positive progress. Yeah. progress. For sure. And that maybe there will be some normalcy in 2021. Yeah. At some point. Anyway, back to the alcohol. I might need some alcohol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Have you figured out what you're going to do for your next Instagram live? No. (laughs) (laughs) We'll update you when she does. (laughs) That's coming up. I mean, I still have two weeks. Yeah, yeah. Um, I did think about doing... Um, maybe like a, a martini trio. Interesting. And doing one that's like martinis a, for the holiday. Uh, yeah, like a mocktail martini, a classic martini, and then like a holiday Ooh. dessert teeny. Because martinis are pretty easy, so for an hour long event, I can't just make one 
Yeah. Like dirty martini. <laughs> I don't know why we've been saying martinis, but for some reason I was thinking in my head margaritas. <laughs> <laughs> margaritas are summer. Martini yeah. feels more winter to me. For sure. And so this week, we're, we're not talking about martinis. <laughs> no, we're continuing on with our story of the beer wars and that back and forth between the gangs leading up to some important events yes <laughs> so i hope you enjoy it okay if the gang wars beer wars assassination attempts we discussed in episode 52 uh were part one of the north versus south side war of chicago's prohibition era then this episode could kind of be considered part two. Yeah. Uh, we are going to be taking a look at the up close and personal reign of the main man of season two, Mr. Al Capone. I feel like every episode we're like, we're getting to Al Capone. <laughs> we have arrived. This is it. Yeah. Okay. Um, and just, I just want to recap a little bit because I feel like, as you said, like we've kind of drug it along. Drug, drug? Dragged? Dra we drugged. Dragged alone. Dragged alone. I don't know. We've talked about it all season. <laughs> <laughs> but um, let's just get to where we are. Okay, so I'm going to try and recap like the last 12 episodes in 60 seconds. Okay. Al Capone was an ordinary kid in Brooklyn who started working. Nicknamed Spaghetti. Nicknamed Spaghetti. <laughs> Um, who started working for gangs, doing small running jobs for Johnny Torrio in New York City. Then Torrio moves to Chicago and starts working for a guy named Jim Calissimo, um, helping run his brothel empire. Torrio invites Capone to Chicago to join him as his bodyguard. Mm -hmm. Then Prohibition starts, mm -hmm. and Torrio wants to get into the bootlegging business, but Big Jim, not a fan of that. So Torrio has him killed. Yep. Torrio now becomes the main man of the Chicago outfit, brings his good friend Al Capone up as his second in command, and the two of them rule parts of Chicago for the early part of the 1920s. They build this super successful gambling, bootlegging brothel ring, mainly located in Southside Chicago. Uh, they had many allies, like the Jenna Brothers, and some enemies like the Northside Gang, run by Dean O'Banion. But in 1926, after a brutal few years of fighting, which is all you'll hear about in episode 52, um, and a, quite a few assassination attempts, Torrio handed the keys of the Chicago outfit over to our good friend Al Capone. Which brings us up to this episode. This is when Capone has the power. That was a beautiful summary. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> he is the supreme Chicago gangster. He is. I felt like I wanted to say that. I mean, he is. It's a true statement. Like, what do you think of when you think of Chicago gangsters? You think about Capone. Yes. He's the supreme. So this is where we're at. This is, I mean, Al Capone is now head boss of the Chicago outfit. This is what we've all been waiting for. It is. Okay, so with our friend Johnny Torrio in retirement, I believe he went back to Italy for a while, yes. if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Capone gets, up, gets to call all the shots, uh, and his style is like a little bit different than Big Jim and Torrio. Uh, unlike the Fox, who we know was kind of in the background and liked to have people do his dirty work, Capone, he liked being the center of attention. Mm-hmm. So it is widely noted that Capone was very lavish, he tipped well, he partied, and he genuinely liked to be liked by people. Like he wanted people to acknowledge him. He just, he liked the, he liked the limelight. That's why Bars stopped and played his favorite song when he came in. Yeah. So he smoked cigars, he dressed like a dapper gentleman, uh, he was friend to many women, <laughs> and he enjoyed music. Especially Rhapsody in Blue. Yeah. <laughs> um, some people described him as a combination of his mentors. So he had a large personality, personality like Big Jim. Um, but he was also business-minded like Torrio. And slightly erratic like Frankie Yale. So he was kind of like the perfect trifecta. Or a dangerous combination. I mean, it is so dangerous to have all three. Yeah. 
I mean, that's, that. yeah. Yeah, yeah, it sounds, I mean, when you think about it that way, it like kind of makes sense that he is so well known in comparison to everyone else because he did have these three yeah. qualities. Uh, so Capone took risk, often allowed the media to interview him, uh, and maintained his visibility in the public, which explains, like, I, like we were saying, why so many years later he is kind of the picture of the Prohibition-style gangster. He really made his name known. He made a name for himself. Uh, but there are quite a few theories written that Capone was not the actual boss of the Chicago outfit after Torrio left. Some historians believe that he was the front man, like, just kind of like a show. He was the showy figure, uh, while the real bosses acted in hiding to protect themselves. Uh, our friend John J. Binder, who we've referenced quite a lot this season, explores those options in his book, uh, and he disputes most of them. In almost every account, he is able to find evidence that these other claims are, are rumored and can be disproven. He holds firmly to the statement that Alphonse Capone, our friend, was the boss of the outfit from 1925 until his eventual downfall. So let's take a look at some of those years and how Capone expanded the outfit's power in Chicago. Okay, so in episode 52, we left right at the end with this truce between the Jenna brothers and the North Side gang ending. And it said that Jaime Weiss, who was the boss of the North Side gang, launched his own campaign dubbed Genocide. <laughs> <laughs> Spelled like the Jenna brothers name in case you can't get that. Yes. <laughs> um, and I mean, his plan was to eliminate the Jenna brothers from Chicago. He right. hated them so much. Um, and like that he wanted just to get rid of that. Like he felt that the Jenna brothers were really like egging Capone on for a lot of these gang wars. Mm -hmm. And so if he got rid of the Jenna brothers, maybe him and Capone could work out their differences. Plus I feel like he probably, this is me just making assumptions. <laughs> I feel like he probably also blamed the Jenna brothers for Dini's death. Cause like two of their henchmen were involved in the right. actual shooting. It's just so convoluted, all of it. It, yeah. it was so dirty and so complicated, and it's just crazy. Yeah. And while the Jenna brothers were Capone's allies, he most likely was not too sad when they left Chicago because he was able to kind of just jump in and take their territory very easily. Mm -hmm. Because no one was going to fight him. He was their ally. He was going to continue. So he, he took over like their alky cooking business. Right. Um, and expanded his empire very quickly after he took the reins of the outfit. Yeah, it kind of like helped him out, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, as we also talked about at the end of that episode, Capone also had the hand of the Union Siciliana with Tony Lombardo taking over after Smiling Sammy's assassination. And so Capone gets the keys to the Chicago outfit and is set up pretty well. Yeah. He's got the hand of the of the Union Siciliana, so mm -hmm. they're going to protect him and, like, give him a lot of free reign. He is expanding his empire pretty quickly from the beginning, and, I mean, he's good to go. Yeah. So, during this transition in 1926, Capone does need to pick up some new players. A lot of the people that we have talked about early on in season two have died. Yeah. And Capone is now the lead guy, and he has to replace all these all people. Of these people. Uh, and so, I'm just going to quickly name out some names that are going to come up in, like, future episodes, uh, and as well as this episode. So, first up, we've got Tony Mops Volpe. I'm sure he cleans up. <laughs> uh, we've got Frank Rio, who's going to become important. And then Paul the Waiter Rika. I wonder if he was a, a waiter. I believe he was. <laughs> um, they were all very strong gunmen with years of experience in different Chicago gangs. And Capone kind of recruited him to like more of his inner circle. Um, next up, we've got Machine Gun Jack McGurn. We've talked at length about him. 
podcast fan favorite. Um, <laughs> Even though he's a terrible <laughs> He's a hottie with the body, but a terrible guy to boot. Um, and for most of this, he has been like a bodyguard friend to Capone. But once Capone takes over, Jack McGurn moves up to the position of chief executioner for the Chicago outfit. Terrifying um, man. Yeah. <laughs> and he will go on to be suspected in over 18 gangland, gangland style machine gun killings over the next few years. And I'm gonna, we, we are gonna mention a couple of them today, but. And those are what he's suspected of. Like, I'm sure there's oh, some yeah. that like, no one even knows. Well, those are, those are the ones that like, they can tie back to his gun. Yeah. Right, uh, but yes, there There's are going to be so, so many, many more. more. Yeah. Um, and then another gunman that I wanted to include, uh, his name is Louis Little New York Capania, and you guessed it, he's a little man. He's a little hinky dink. <laughs> he's only he's only five three, but apparently, you know, good at killing people. Um, I also want to mention Sam Golf Bag Hunt. <laughs> These nicknames are so ridiculous. And his nickname actually serves a purpose. He used to carry his shotgun around in a golf bag. Oh. And then he would like pull out a shotgun and be ready to go. Um, I feel like at one point we said we were going to make a list of our favorite nicknames. I feel like we should. I wonder if we should wait till the end of the season, though, so we make sure we get all of the nicknames. Yeah. And then, like, compile our favorites. Of our favorites. Yeah. Okay. And so these guys are going to become known as the top killers for the Chicago outfit during this episode and further episodes. Um, their names are going to come up more and more. So. For well over a year, between February of 1925 and July of 1926, the Northsiders, led by Vice and Moran and Capone, didn't have a lot of violence between their organizations, uh, but there was no lack of gangland fighting between some of their allied gangs. Uh, a three-sided war on the South Side took off between the South Side O'Donnells, the Sheldon Stanton gang, and the Saltese McErlane gang, who we have talked about in past episodes. I don't think we focused on the Sheldon gang, but we have brought them up. Right. Um, so for over 10 months, these rivals would open fire on one another, killing and wounding each other for more control of, of the territory. Uh, this all came to a head in August of 1926 when the Saltese McGurlane gang kidnapped Tony Kirgoni. Uh, they tortured him and left him dead. Sorry, sir. Sorry, sir. You were innocent. Uh, so while this Ish. was... <laughs> Ish. So while this was not the first gangland murder, it was a personal attack on Capone, uh, who had been trying to stay out of these gangland wars. Tony was actually Capone's driver, um, and Capone assumed the murder had been at the hands of his rivals, a.k.a. the Northside Gang. Uh, because of this, as you'll see, there's a lot of, a lot of back and forth to come. Mm -hmm. uh, Capone retaliated by attacking Jaime Weiss and Vincent Druzzi uh, as they walked down Michigan Avenue in downtown Chicago. Both of the men survived this, but it, of course, ignited a full brand new war between the two sides. God damn it. Because it, it just sucks because it wasn't even them. Like, it was a different gang that murdered him. Uh-huh. Uh, but, but he assumed because it was so personal that it had to be like one of the big bosses who put the hit out. Right. So with this new war ignited um, between the two sides, it's going to be a lot of back and forth. Yeah. So we're going to tell some of the bigger stories um, that happen. In September of 1926, 10 vehicles pulled up outside the Hawthorne Hotel which was a common hangout for Capone, and they sprayed the building with 1,000 bullets. 1,000? I know. That's a lot. It, that, <laughs> yes. um, but surprisingly, there's only one person injured during the attack, and it was Paul, the waiter, Rika. And it said that basically the story goes that 
Paul had stepped outside, mm -hmm. maybe to smoke a cigarette or something, and he saw the cars coming down the road, and as he was running back in to warn everyone, like, he, he was running back in to warn everyone, that's when he was shot. But he was only injured. He was only injured. Um, but because he took that risk by, like, running back in to warn everyone, they all had time to, like, drop to the ground, and so no one else was shot and killed. Many people believe that could have been, like, the end of Capone. It was, like, all of his biggest guys. If by chance this guy hadn't been outside to see. Right. Wow. Or had ducked yeah. or something. Like, if he hadn't or run had back in. Or had everyone else, yeah. Yeah. And so they say that it's this, this act by Rika that showed Capone how fearless and loyal he was. Mm -hmm. And it, like, bonded them for, like, the rest of their their lives yeah um and the story matches up because capone actually went on to be the best man at paul rica's wedding oh wow and it was the only time al capone ever served as best man to anyone's wedding in gang life oh damn so like him and paul rica were like best buds yeah um, and that makes sense and rica would also move up the ranks much quicker than some of those other guys i mentioned and really becomes like a very close confidant to Capone. So he took a bullet, yes. but it was worth it yes. for him. Um, and so Capone, after this attack on the Hawthorne Hotel, he's not one to be outdone or give the other guy the final word. Right. Um, he retaliates in October of the same year. Um, our friend Machine Gun Jack managed to get himself inside a building across the street from a north side known hangout, the Holy Name Cathedral, mm -hmm. which we've definitely mentioned as... Yep, Dini's Flower Shop was right across the street. Yeah, and this building, I believe what they mentioned is it was no longer called... It was still a flower shop, but it's the building next door to the flower shop, and he got in and up to the second floor somehow. Um, and... Around the corner, golf bags was there with his shotgun as like a second shot in case McGurn missed. And it's here during the day on the street where Northside gang leader Jaime Vice would find his end. Capone put a hit out on him. McGurn and golf bags were successful. They fired and Jaime Vice and Patrick Murray, who was a Northsider, um, were both killed that day. R.I.P. Heine. Yes. Um, so Capone said, if you're going to put a hit out on me, I'm going to put a hit out on you. And Heine, that was the end of Mr. Vice. Um, so Vincent Drusi um, would take over the North Side at that point, and Bugs Moran would become the chief lieutenant. Um, I don't know. It's weird because everything we had done research up until this point, mm -hmm. it was always like, Bugs and Jaime were like co-leaders, mm -hmm. but then at this point, Bugs didn't get control. So, so strange. I don't know if maybe Bugs never really was a co. Like maybe he was always kind of like second in command, and he still wasn't ready. Mm -hmm. I'm not really sure, but Drusy definitely takes over the Northside gang, and Bugs becomes like his second. And uh, the gangland wars would claim another boss's life. After Vice's death, Capone releases a statement. Uh, he says, I told them I did not want to die. I didn't want them to die either. I said it wasn't necessary. We could find a more sensible way to settle our difficulties. I had sent word to them many times before Jaime died. They thought I was kidding, but when they saw I was, I was in earnest, they wanted to talk things over. Does he mean when they saw he was in earnest by Jaime's death? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so a week after Capone sat down with Drusy and made a peace treaty with the following terms. Number one, no more killings or beatings. Check. <laughs> no, number two, all past murders and shootings attributed to either side were to be considered closed incidents. So that back and forth, You're supposed to ignore it. Yeah, it's all over. We're starting fresh. Number three. All malicious gossip before the peace meeting carried between the two gangs shall be disregarded. No more gossip. Only new gossip. <laughs> I know. Well, they made a big point that it was before the meeting. Yeah. 
Like, anything you'd heard before this meeting couldn't be counted. <laughs> so you'd be like, last week I heard so-and-so shot so-and-so. It doesn't matter anymore. But future gossip, I guess, didn't matter. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. And lastly, number four, leaders of each side are held responsible for any infraction of the peace path, and all unfriendly behaviors shall be reported to the police for disciplining, not taken care of quote unquote locally as we mentioned they previously had been yeah i just think it's so fascinating that they sat down these two men and they were like yes we know we've each killed many people <laughs> but let's just stop that forget about it like how do you get the past all... is past like but like that's i find it hard to believe that they thought that would work because there's so many people involved. Right. You know, it's not like I'm group texting out the gang and being like, okay, guys, peace pack sign, no more killing. Like, people have been murdered. How do you just be like, yeah, sure, no big deal. We'll but forget like, it. And how did they get that message across to everybody? Right. And, like, the fact that the leaders of each side are now going to be held responsible, I feel like, makes things tenser between the leaders. Because it's like, oh, this guy killed this North Sider, Capone fuck it's your yeah. fault <laughs> yeah like i it just seems hard to believe that like they sat down thinking this was going to be the solution yeah but apparently they did okay so we've got a new a new era apparently this is a uh -huh. peace pact era i don't know <laughs> uh so the year it's 1927 now and earlier in the season i told the story of William Big Bill Thompson, and he was the mayor of Chicago, super corrupt, um, horrible person. Reminded yeah, me a little of Trump. A lot, of, <laughs> a lot of Trump. Um, so he he in 1923 ran for re-election and lost. And I had told in in that story like a follow-up that eventually he becomes mayor again in 1927. Well, we're back. It's now 1927. Uh, it's Big Bill around. runs for mayor and wins in 1927. And it feels as though, while in 1923, Chicago was looking to clean up the city, now in 1927, Chicago's ready for round two of chaos. Great. Because as soon as Thompson is sworn in, it's like racketeering, gambling, and all the vice sections of Chicago begin to boom again. Mm-hmm. Um, May Mayor Dreyer, who was elected in 1923, like shut a lot of that stuff down or made it more difficult. Mm -hmm. And so everything really went underground for like that, those middle years. But now Thompson's mayor again, and it's just like brothel business, gambling it. business. I'm everything sure is go. Pumped. Yeah. Um, so Capone held on to the majority of the gambling dens in the, the South. And I read that he was taking up to 40% of the cut of any establishment that he didn't fully own himself. So, like, he would go in, try and buy a gambling den. If they refused to sell it to him, they were persuaded to give him 40% of their cut. Wow. So, like, that's why the man was so wealthy. Like, yeah. And if you didn't, you, you were killed. killed. Yeah. If there was just, like, no... There was, like, no gray area. Right. It was, like, you were going to give him money, sell him your business, or you were going to die. Yeah. That's it. Um, a man by the name of Christian uh, Bertesh, sure. I don't know, uh, was a, an associate of George Moran, ran the north side version of the gambling syndicate. So it's really, like, the two of them. Um, and then... Big Bill himself also went directly into racketeering as soon as he became mayor. And he ran this racket called the America First Association. And it took $10 from every policeman and fireman and called it union dues. But instead, he just lined his own pockets with it. But, like, the Trump comparisons to this man, America First Association. Yeah. yeah. Have you... I? We're just going to take a side note. Okay. So I was just reading an article about this yesterday, and not about Bill Thompson, but about Trump's current plan for 2024. Have you heard about this? No. So 
he is now because there is no election campaign right so he has opened a pack and basically it says that he's asking all of his supporters to collect money and he's going on like to run for re-election in 2024 but if you read the fine print it's like the first five thousand dollars that is donated goes to help him live post-presidency and after the five thousand dollars like 40 percent of it goes to his re-election campaign what the fuck and i'm like oh he's literally i thought he always talks about how rich he is why does he need people he's money? literally just asking because how many of his supporters are donating yes he does have wealthy supporters who are donating more than five thousand but i'm talking like he's targeting you know like middle america people and that these probably people, need the money people that are giving 500 you know, or less dollars mm -hmm. and all of that money is going to his personal living expenses post post election and he can do it because it's not a campaign fund it's a pack like he can just take that money from those people and they're just willingly giving it to him because they're blindly supporting him that's ridiculous and i was so angry reading this article and then when i was writing this i i was like oh my god there's so many comparisons and i know we made that connection like when we talked about his his campaigning and like his propaganda to whoever would vote for him which you know we've said is very trump like as well so like i just can't picture this man without picturing donald trump <laughs> and like it just infuriates me sorry okay rant over <laughs> back to chicago back back to it so in april of 1927 drusy is killed by police and this is when our friend or enemy however you want to consider him george moran takes over the north side gang good old bugs good old bugs so it's here that we should probably also introduce some of the newer key players to our friends in the Northside gang. Because like Laura said earlier, a lot of people died. So, <laughs> so there's some newbies in the picture. Um, so we now have Bugs on top as the boss. His style, different. Uh, he is considered vicious and violent and was often called the devil by his enemies. Sounds like a fun guy. Yeah. Uh, so Bugs brought the Go Goosenberg brothers on board to the Northside gang, which I feel like we may have briefly mentioned somewhere, but they were two contract killers uh, who will become very important later on. We also have Frank Foster, Willie Marks, Izzy Alderman, and Leo Mongoovin. Bone of Mongoovin. These men were Moran's killers and bodyguards. So they were like his inner circle, the way Hottie with a body. And yeah. <laughs> I just find it so funny that all of the like nicknames are mainly like the Italian mobsters, whereas like yeah. the Irish. I was thinking that as I read these names. Don't have as many. They do have some, but they don't have as many like. Yeah. Interesting. It names. is interesting. Okay. So on the north side, Moran joins forces also with Joe Aiello, who we've discussed, Christian Bertesh, who controlled his gambling ring, and Jack Zuda. Together, these lovely gentlemen <laughs> had combined to form a giant antique poem conglomerate uh, with weapons and strength that the north side had not seen since O'Banion's control. And this is where the peace pacts that Moran had made with Capone a year earlier would start to kind of tear apart. Yeah. I mean, it's just so interesting that, like, Capone now is bigger than Torrio and Big Jim ever were. Right. And he's doing it on his own. And then to compete on the north side, Bugs has to, like, partner with these other big gangs. Right. To, like... And it just fascinates me the amount of power and strength Capone had mm -hmm. as like I, it's just crazy. Uh, so another person that you know Vanessa just mentioned and we mentioned definitely in Rivals episode part two, who comes back into the picture right now in like 1927, 1928 is Joe Aiello. And so Joe Aiello is a power player in the Union Siciliana in 1928. 
Um, he's made his way up the ranks and just has a big voice and um, a lot of people trust him. And he is not a fan of Tony Lombardo, the president of the Chicago Union Siciliana. And he's not a fan of Al Capone because he's part of this anti-Capone right. conglomerate. Um, Aiello has his own ambitions and he, you know, he really wants to become president of the Union Siciliana, become one of those big name bosses. And Lombardo and Capone were really taking the spotlight and yeah. they were cashing in. If I remember correctly from the episode, I hope I'm not making this up, Lombardo and Aiello actually had a business together. They did. And then they had a falling out. Correct. Because Aiello wanted more power. Yes. And now here's Lombardo, like, with the power. Yeah. And he's, like, best buds with the biggest gangster in town. Like, Aiello's just kind of in his feels. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Good description. Um, so, by uh, mid-1927, there's a lot of encouragement from Bugs Moran and Frankie Yale um, for Aiello to, like, make a move. Frankie's switching sides. Yes, he is. And we're going to talk about that in a couple paragraphs. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so Aiello's like, this is it. This is my chance. I'm going to, I'm going to get rid of Capone and Lombardo. Mm -hmm. And so he, he offers this private chef that he knows sometimes cooks for Capone. And he says, I'll give you $35,000 to poison the food you make, Capone and Lombardo. Mm -hmm. But the chef refuses. He's like, no way. Yeah. Like, I, no way. He's I'm like, doing I don't that. Want that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so Aiello decides that he just has to put out a hit on these men. So he puts out a $25,000 hit on each of the men. So it's 50,000 50,000 if you get both of them. 25,000 for whichever one. And so historians can prove that at least four top um, contract killers during 1927 took their chance on the bounty, traveled from out of state to try their luck at killing Capone or Lombardo. But each time there is proof that Jack McGurn were, was able to kill them before they could attempt to kill Capone or Lombardo like he, he had skills yeah I mean and that they only know and can like trace four but mm -hmm. there were probably more mm -hmm. um in in the book Al Capone's Beer Wars by John J. Binder like he lists the four guys and their names and like a little bit of their story but like I find it fascinating that they're able to trace these men coming to New York and Jack McGurn, like, or knowing. Chicago. Yeah, sorry, coming. Yes, sorry. Some of them came from New York. Yeah. But coming to Chicago and Jack McGurn being able to take them out before they could go, like, spoil. Why kept them around. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then on top of all of that, the chef that Aiello had bribed knew Capone because he cooked for him mm -hmm. and told Capone about this plot that Aiello had come to him with. And so Capone, being Capone, um, shot up the Aiello family bakery. Yeah. Um, because don't fucking come for me, bro. <laughs> um, and so in in the months following this, so we're like mid-1928, it is very heated between the North Side and the Chicago outfit. Um, over a dozen men would be found murdered gangland style due to the wars between Joe Aiello and then Capone and Lombardo. Um, it's always brothers. It's the Jenna brothers causing shit, then the Aiello brothers I causing know. shit. <laughs> and uh, so it's just a really dark time for gangland murders in the, the year of 1928. Seven. Yes. So given Bill Thompson's new, again, mayorship uh, and his friendship with Capone, he made some new laws in Chicago that reconfigured how gambling could be done and made sure many gambling dens in certain parts of Chicago were shut down. Guess which part? <laughs> <laughs> so this new reconfiguration left Capone mostly untouched, but of course it really hurt the way the North Side had been earning their money. So they were hemorrhaging money to set up gambling places and to pay for protection only to find that their establishments were being raided over and over again. 
So Moran and gang, of course, blames Capone because he was Bill Thompson's buddy. Yeah. Uh, and this, again, led to the gang wars being back on. I mean, they're back. They, 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 like, go off for a, a month a short or two. amount of time. And then they're back on again. Mm -hmm. Yes. So... For months in the late in late 1927 through 1928, the back and forth between the two sides continued with many men being killed. Um, in the spring of 1928, a squad of men led by Jack McGurn flooded Northside gang hangouts with gunfire, which resulted in revenge attacks of Capone liquor shipments uh, being hijacked by Aiello's men. So, like, Jack McGurn came in with some heavy gunfire. Aiello was like, fuck you, we're taking all of Capone's liquor. Yeah. I mean, it just seems like they liked fighting. Like, they just wanted... Yeah. It's almost like they just want to see who could be, like, the most vicious, had the most power. Like, it just, it's exhausting, mm -hmm. the amount of retaliation attacks. But, like, that's why... to live. But, like, that's why it's so fascinating that he was such a big personality and he lived in the limelight. Because, like... You hear about all these attacks, right. constantly gunfire being, sh like, in yeah. his face. And, like, he would just be, like, out giving media interviews. I know. Like, all the people around him are dying, and he's like, play my favorite song! Like, you know, <laughs> like what? Announce that I'm coming into the bar, basically. Yeah. Like, uh, he was an interesting man. Okay. So, an attack on Jack McGurn in the hotel where he resided in March of 1928 was unsuccessful, um, and as a follow-up to that unsuccessful, unsuccessful attack, he was also machine gun attacked on a street corner in April of 1928. Uh, McGurn was seen as Capone's biggest weapon, so the multiple attacks on his life kind of makes sense. Then the summer of 1928 would come, and it would be brutal for both sides. McGurn was not killed in those attacks, by the way. Oh, yes. But he just, like... He was just constantly attacked. He was constantly a target because he was so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. So, in 1928, summer of 1928, Capone is more and more power-hungry. At this time, you know, he's really expanding his, his empire ship. And he's really just pissed off at the north side. Like, they just need... To go. <laughs> so he decides to take some action and he went after his once ally, but new foe, Frankie Yale. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, Frankie Yale had kind of partnered with Bugs Moran um, to take out Lombardo as the president of the Union Siciliana. At this time, Frankie Yale was the president of the, the National mm -hmm. Union Siciliana and he didn't really like what was happening in Chicago. And so he wanted Lombardo out and someone new in um, just to kind of like even out what was happening in Chicago, which is why he partnered with Moran because he knew he couldn't partner with Capone. Right. Even and though he had for so many years. For so many years. I mean, they, they, I mean, yeah. He took was, out so many people for Capone and Torrio. And yeah. And so Capone decided that it was Yale's turn because, you know, if, it's kind of like, you know, you're hurt. with me or against me. Yeah. So, um, in downtown New York, a car chase starts, um, and Frankie Yale is actually like shot and killed execution style, um, on July 1st, 1928 at the end of this car chase. And much like the assassinations, he's rumored to have completed himself. No one is quite sure who pulled the trigger, but Capone is said to be behind the hit. It's noted that it was a Chicago outfit, um, like, group of men who pursued him yeah. by car, and so they believe one of them pulled the trigger. Um, but Frankie Yale is now dead in 1928. R.I.P. Frankie Yale. Yes, R.I.P. Um, in another attempt to weaken Capone and Lombardo... Joe Aiello and crew 
decided that if they couldn't become the, the president of the Chicago Union Siciliana, they were going to form their own branches of the okay. Union Siciliana. Just mm -hmm. smaller versions within Chicago. Okay. Um, but that also proved unsuccessful because everyone who was made a leader of those branches found themselves at the wrong end of Capone's gunmen in the days and weeks to follow. Surprise, surprise. Yes. <laughs> Um, and it's also in the summer of 1928 where Tony Lombardo will actually find his end as well. While walking down the street in broad daylight mm -hmm. during evening rush hour in the loop of downtown Chicago, Lombardo is shot and killed. Um, it is believed that Bugs Moran and Joello are behind the killing. But some people also believe it was a retaliation hit by New York gangsters for killing Frankie Yale. Why not both? So we they don't really know again, but it's the end of another head honcho. Yep. It just it's crazy I know. to me all of this. It's what's wild to me is that Capone survived all this. Yes, it boggles my mind because so many big guys were taken out, and like you said, he was so public. Yeah, wild. But in an attempt to come together and end the ruthless fighting again. <laughs> Attempt um, <laughs> number 500 and 543, whatever. Yeah. Um, a meeting was called in Cleveland, Ohio, which was considered neutral ground. And it was time to choose a new Union Siciliana president. Ten gangsters arrived and Pascal Lolordo was appointed the position. It's highly noted that Capone had already hand-chosen Lolordo. Uh, and this was kind of a fake meeting just to appease people. Like, yeah, totally. We're going to choose a new person. You've got it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so everyone kind of knew that Capone was really the person that was in charge. And Aiello, knowing that he would not be given the job, was bitter as fuck still because <laughs> he still wanted it. Uh, and he tips the police off to the clandestine meeting and all 10 gangsters were arrested. Ayala was not making friends, and there was very little done to ensure peace in Chicago's gang wars. So they just carried on. The wars, <laughs> the wars continued. Yes. The North and South Side fought over bootlegging liquor, brothels, gambling dens, and the newest racket on the scene, dog racing. <sighs> Poor dogs. Yeah. Uh, so if there was illegal money to be made, you know Capone and Moran were fighting over it. It's just everything. Just Anything, anything yeah. and everything. A few short months after becoming the Union Siciliana president, handpicked by Al Capone, mm -hmm. uh, Lolordo invited Joe Aiello to his home to try and make peace. So it, it was noted that like Aiello, after getting all those men arrested, kind of mm -hmm. left Chicago for yes, a couple months, mm -hmm. and then he like snuck back in, yeah, and was kind of afraid for his life. And so Lolordo was like, "Well, come." Let's make peace. Yeah, I think I read that Lolordo like wanted to be like the one to bring peace. He yeah. was like, I got this. Yeah. So he invites Aiello to his home. Um and it's during this meeting in his home, members of the Northside gang that had come with Joe Aiello to the meeting murdered Lolordo in his living room while his wife was in the kitchen preparing snacks for their guests. Yep. And um, I think it's rumored that it was actually, um, oh, the, was it Gusenberg? One of the Gusenberg brothers. Yeah, yeah, that we had mentioned earlier. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense because they were part of the inner circle. Right. Um, so we, we need a new Union Siciliana president, although honestly, who the fuck wants this job? I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so a man by the name of Joe... Ginta takes the job again. Still not, not Joe Aiello. <laughs> um, and, you know, Capone is pissed. Like, yeah. they keep taking out his men. He needs his guy as the president to get all of his, his money and shit. Right. Because um, he can't be president because he's not Sicilian. Right. I think was the, like, point of why he always had to put someone in the spot. Right. Um. But Ayala was Sicilian and still... Still just couldn't, they, couldn't get they it. They did not want it. Um, so Capone never wanted to let the other guy have the last word. 
was already planning his next revenge, which would go on to be his biggest and most famous plan yet. Mm-hmm. But we're going to have to tell you about that one next week. Yeah. <laughs> Stay tuned. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> it's just, man, so much fighting. I know. I Again, I just don't know how you could, like, be a gangster living during that time. I, you would just be constantly thinking someone was going to kill you. Constant. But, but then at the same time, like, and we haven't really touched that much on it because it, it it actually is, like, the one hidden part of Al Capone's life. It's, like, his home life. He yeah. had a wife. He had a son. Yeah. Everything says he was, like, a doting, loving father. They went to... Like, White Sox games, they, like, went to dinner. Yes, it is noted he did cheat on his wife over and over again. He had lots of, you know, he used his own brothels and things. But his wife kind of knew that, and while it's not accepted, she, like, kind of did accept it. Right. Like, it's, like, I don't know, it's just crazy that he would, like, be this person then he also has a family mm-hmm. and like went to like family barbecues and you know every once in a while pictures will emerge of like men like hanging out like in lawn chairs on beaches and I'm like how is that the same guy I know he was the best man at that guy's wedding yeah he like, attended a wedding it's almost. mind-boggling how he seemed to have like two lives almost yeah we should do something about make a poem we should. <laughs> Do you think there's enough about her? I don't know. TBD, guys. Yeah, if we can find enough about May, that's his wife's name. Yes. Maybe we can do, like, May and the son, but I don't know that there's a lot about the son. I know the son grow like, yeah, goes on to have a family. Like, there are grandkids and stuff. Right. Like, Capone's relatives. If there's not enough to do a full episode, maybe we'll do, like, an Instagram post or something about May. Yeah. It'll be interesting. Stay tuned. You'll find out with us. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But that is all we have for this week before we get into the biggie. Yeah. We are going to post some pictures on uh, social media of some of the guys we talked about. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I can find golf bags, but I'd love to. (laughs) (laughs) You can check us out. Um, We're at a tap on the wrist on Instagram and on Twitter. And if you have any suggestions for episodes, any pictures, stories, cocktails, really anything, drop us an email. Our email is tapontheristpodcast at gmail.com. And that's all we got for you this week. So stay tuned and cheers. Cheers.